Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of The Bible in Life, where we give blue jeans theology to help you know God and follow Jesus. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. If you're new and it's your first time here, welcome. So glad you're joining us on The Bible in Life. We have listeners all over the world. Most of our listeners are in the States, but we have about 15, 20% of our listeners come from places like Nigeria, South Africa, uh, Poland. Uh, We have some in Costa Rica and Canada and Australia and all uh, tons of other places all over the world. So if you're new, welcome to the podcast. So glad you're joining us on this episode. And if you're a regular listener of the show, man, thank you for being a faithful uh, friend and a faithful supporter of the Bible in life. I pray that this podcast is helpful to you and and really does help you know God and follow Jesus. And if you find great value in this podcast, man, feel free to share this far and wide. Share it on uh, Instagram, share it on Facebook, share it via email, share it via text. Just share it with your friends and say, hey, here's a podcast that I think would be really helpful to you. You should check it out and feel free to share that with your friends. Today on the show, I want to tackle this idea of when being good doesn't feel like, doesn't seem like a good idea. Have you ever experienced that where it's like, man, I'm doing my best to follow you, God. I'm doing my best to do what's right. I'm trying to raise my kids for you. And life just doesn't turn out right. And it doesn't feel fair. And it doesn't feel like, man, all the effort I put into doing what's right isn't bearing the fruit I feel like it should, and life just doesn't feel fair. People who have no interest in God, no interest in doing what's right, they get ahead, and me and others who are trying to do what's right, man, we just struggle to make ends meet. We struggle for life to turn out right. Sometimes doing good doesn't feel like or seem like a good idea, and in this episode of the show, we're going to take up that question, that difficulty, and we're going to do so by looking at Psalm 37. And so if you have your Bible uh, available to you, maybe look at Psalm 37, maybe even read it before you listen to the show. And this is a sermon that I preached on this text, wrestling with this idea. So I hope you enjoy it. Take a listen. I pray it's a real encouragement to you. We are going to be in Psalm 37 this morning. Uh, I think your, your bulletin says Acts. I created a little confusion. And, uh, and you know, I just kind of went rogue and did my own thing, and we're on Psalm 37, all right? So that's where we're going to be here in a little bit. Um, Brian, as he said, was one of my students. Um, Doug was one of my students at BBC. Rachel, who's uh, working with kids, was I was her academic advisor. So it's like I know a lot of the people who are on staff here. I just have never been here before. So it's good to be with you guys uh, and uh, get to share Sunday with you today. Uh, we're going to look at a question today out of Psalm 37 that uh, is like a, a genuine, real, raw human question. It's the kind of question that um, most of us at some point in our life, if we're honest with ourselves and honest with life, there's a good chance you're going to ask this question, you're going to be confronted with this question, you're going to be faced with this question. In fact, you don't even have to be a believer. So if you're in the room today and you're a guest and you just stumbled into church, you're not even sure why you're here, and, and you're not even a believer of Jesus, you're just checking things out, there's a, but you've tried to be a decent person, there's a good chance you might still ask this question. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is a very real question that a lot of times uh, confronts us. And the question is, is, is it really worth it being good? Is being good really worth it? Is doing the right thing really worth it? Um, and that question shows up here in Psalm 37, right in the very first verse. Let me read you uh, Psalm 37, verse 1. It says this, 
Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. You see, the psalmist David pictures looking out at the world and seeing people and their life is successful. Their life is, they're getting ahead. They have all the good things. Their life is going someplace. And you as a, a righteous person, a follower of God, it's like you're, you look at your life and you're like, why isn't my life like theirs? It's like their life is working out a whole lot better than mine and it doesn't seem right. I'm trying to do what's right and my life doesn't seem to be going nearly as well as their life does. It doesn't seem fair, Lord. It doesn't seem fair. That's the question of Psalm 37. In fact, I was uh, on the internet the other day looking at something and I came across someone who was asking and wrestling with this very same question. Let me just read you what he said. He said this, has anyone else ever wondered if being a good person is really worth it? seems like we spend our lives conforming to societal standards, playing by the rules, obeying the law, and trying to do what's right. And what do we get for it? Overworked and underpaid in some crappy nine-to-five job. You ever feel that way? Like, bust my butt, try to do my best. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus. And, and this is what I get for it. This is all I've got. Um, and he, he actually goes on and says, sometimes I think the drug dealers, the robbers, the thugs, the muggers, the thieves of society live far more exciting lives than I do. Is it really worth it doing what's right? Is it really worth it being good? Like your, your neighbor, you know, likes to brag about how he cheats on his taxes uh, and, you know, just kind of. And, and he's got all the things, right? Like he's got to, his house is a lot nicer than your house. And he's got uh, all the toys. And he can, he can go on an expensive vacation to Hawaii. And, and, and you look around at, at your stuff and it's like, you're not even sure the goodwill would take your furniture. <laughs> and, and he's got, you know, several brand new super nice cars. And, and your car is pushing its second 100,000 miles. And the closest thing you can get to a vacation is maybe a one-day camping trip. Is it really worth it, Lord, to do what's right, to be good? That, that's the question of Psalm 37. Um, or, or, you know, you, you, you and uh, your spouse have been um, trying to have kids, and you're three, four, five years into it. You've been praying. You've been asking Jesus, and nothing, nothing. And then you look and think, but, Lord, why in the world would you give them kids? I mean, they don't even want their kids. They're just the kind, of, the kind of parents I hope I don't read about in the newspaper someday. You give them kids, and we're faithful, and we're loyal, and nothing. Come on, Lord. doesn't seem fair. Isn't that frustrating, maddening at times? Um, I have a friend who's a, a pediatric cardiologist, and um, she... There was three pediatric cardiologists in the Boise area, and she was sort of the new kid on the block when she opened up her practice. And not only that, she was a female, and all the other two were, were men, and it just didn't seem to go well. And she's, she's a God-fearing person, and she's trying to be faithful to Jesus, and she's praying. And, and it just seemed like all she got was grief, grief, grief. And she could never get ahead, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't recommend people to her practice. And she just got nothing but heartache and grief from the power brokers in the medical field in Boise. And she's like, God, I... I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to apply your kind of ethics, your kind of compassion, your kind of wisdom to my medical practice, and this is the thanks I get for it? Lord, this doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I mean, like, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? I'm trying to do what's right. It just doesn't seem like it's worth it. You ever feel that way? Can you relate? 
That's the question of Psalm 37. Is it really worth it to do what's right? In fact, the psalmist, in, in a little later in the psalm, pictures it this way. Verse 35, he says this, I've seen a w- wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. It's like David, the psalmist, looks out and he says, here's this wicked, unrighteous, far from God person, and you look at their life, and their life is like this flourishing, vibrant tree. Like, it's just, everything's turning out well for them. And he's like, why, Lord? It doesn't make sense. Or, or he just says it pretty starkly in verse 7 of Psalm 37. He says, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. These people are far from God. They're ungodly. They have no, no interest in doing what's right. And their life is a success. Their life is just going smooth. And they seem to have everything that you could ever want. They got the world by the tail. and Everything is going well. And here you are trying to do what's right. And you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm barely making it, Lord. I'm barely making it. And you say don't fret. But right now, frustration and fretting seems like a perfectly natural response. Because it just doesn't seem like this is very fair. Do you ever feel that way? Can you identify with the psalmist? That's the question he's asking. But, but David, the author of this psalm, wants to say to you and wants to say to me, wants to say, look again. Look again. Look a little more closely at at their life, those people far from God who seem to be so successful. Look again and look a little more closely. In fact, we read verse 35, but listen to the whole thing. Let's finish the sentence into verse 36. He says this, I've seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and he was no more though I looked for him he couldn't be found he looked like this vibrant luxurious flourishing tree but guess what it all came crashing down he soon withered away and passed away or or verse 2 we began with reading Psalm 37 1 we'll look at the whole sentence again 1 and 2 don't fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. You look, you're tempted to be envious. You look at their life. It looks like they have everything you could ever want. And everything you've ever dreamed of, they seem to have. Their life looks so great. And you're you're envious. And it's frustrating, a little maddening, a little irritating, right? The fretting. He says, but don't do that because they're going to fade away like grass. They're going to just turn brown like grass on a 100-degree day, right? Yeah. I don't know about here, but in Boise, we have an annual reminder of this image, this picture of grass that springs up, looks luxurious, looks great, and then just fades away. And that annual reminder shows up in Boise in our foothills. So uh, here's what the Boise foothills look like in the springtime, March and April, um, maybe early May, they look like this. And they're all green, right? This is downtown Boise with the foothills in the background. All green and all of that. And then by late May, beginning of June, this is what the Boise foothills look like. In fact, this year we had, we had such a cool June that the, the green actually stayed into June. And we were all shocked. It's like, wow, 
foothills are really green this year, you know? They don't stay that way very long. That's the picture of Psalm 37. These wicked people that we're tempted to envy, those people far from God, the ungodly whose lives look so great, the psalmist says, just look a little more closely. Look a little more closely. And their life fades away. It fades away like grass that turns brown as summer moves in. In other words, their, their, their good life looks so great, but the good life of the ungodly and those far from God, there's no future in it. It has no future. So their good life looks great, looks luxuriant, looks awesome, but there's no future in it. That's the point of Psalm 37. Don't fret, don't fret, because there's no future in their good life. And guess what? We know that's true, not only, not only in the here and now, but even in the life to come. And we know it in both places. Like, it's true that there's no future in it, even, even in the here and now. Think of, like, the, the student who cheats to, to get ahead and get the scholarship and get through college and get the degree, right? And eventually, it won't be long before everyone knows, well, and probably that person knows, not nearly as smart as he or she thought they were or seemed like they were. Um, and we all can think of plenty of, like, um, celebrities, you know, sports stars, actors, actresses, who their life seems so incredible, so exciting, so adventuresome, so wealthy, so awesome, so great. They used to be a household name, and now no one knows who in the world they are. And what's amazing to me is when sometimes you, you, you read about their later years after their, their stardom and their fame kind of vanishes, it's amazing to me how many of them in their empty years uh, empty and miserable, sometimes uh, poverty-stricken. It's like they soon fade away like the grass that turns brown as summer rolls on. That's true in the here and now, and it's certainly true in the life to come. And so David, the author of the psalm, says to you and, and to me, says, look again, look again. Get your perspective right. Don't, don't just look at their life even look again at your life. And don't just look more closely. Look more deeply at the life that you have with God. If you're a follower of God, then guess what? There are incredible promises for you and for me. And those promises, um, you can read all of Psalm 37. It's a long psalm. I'm not going to make you read it all right now with me. We'd be here for a while. But let's just look at a few. Look, look again at some of the promises that God has made to us as his people in Psalm 37. Look at verse 3, for example. Psalm 37, 3 says this, Trust the Lord, do good, dwell in the land. And here's the promise. And enjoy safe pasture. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. What's the picture of safe pasture? When you read the Psalms, they use a lot of figures of speech. And so you want to kind of picture the imagery, right? Well, here the picture is safe pasture. What is that picturing? Well, the picture is this. Pictures of, remember David, the author of the psalm, was a shepherd. It's, it's sheep in a field where it's like they don't have anything to worry about. Their, their shepherd is taking care of them. Life is secure. They know he's got their back. He's, he's taking them to a green pasture where they have plenty of food. They can, they can lie down and they can chill. They can stand up and wander around and they can graze and they can eat. And their life is secure. That's the picture of safe pasture, satisfaction and security. And God says, I promise that to you. I'll take care of you. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. The picture of safe 
pasture. Or verse 4, take delight in the Lord. And listen, here's the promise. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. What are those deep, deep human desires that you long for, you wish uh, would be satisfied in you? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your heart's desires will be satisfied and fulfilled in him. Or verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. You ever long to be vindicated? What does it mean to be vindicated? Like, Shown that you were in the right, that you actually knew what you were talking about, you were in the right. Have you ever wanted to be vindicated? And in the context of the psalm, here's these people who are far from God. They, they're ungodly, right? And sometimes people like that, they look at those of us who are follower, followers of God, and they might, you know, kind of belittle or mock or make fun of or put down or shake their heads. I don't know why that guy, you know, if she wouldn't give so much money to the church, they probably could pay their bills a little bit more and right, make fun of our way of life or whatever it is. What this is saying is someday, someday God will show that your faith and your faithfulness was right. That's right. And that's, that's not a wrong thing to want. We're made in the image of God and God is just. We're made with a sense of justice in our heart. And we, we want truth and justice to be known. And God says, you just wait. Just trust me. Trust me. Someday it'll be obvious that your, your, your faith is, was rewarded and it was right. It was right. Or um, <clears throat> keep reading the next few verses in Psalm 37, verses 7 and following. It says this, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath, don't fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil, the ungodly, those far from God, they will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord, hear it, those who hope in the Lord, here's the promise, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Will inherit the land. In fact, three or four other times in this psalm, David says, that we will inherit the, those who trust in the Lord, those who depend on God, they will inherit the land. They will inherit the land. In fact, verse 11, if we were to read verse 11, it might sound familiar to some of you. It's actually on, on the wall right out here in the lobby. It's actually one of the Beatitudes. Psalm 37, verse 11 says, the meek, the gentle will inherit the land. When Jesus quotes that in the Beatitudes, he's quoting Psalm 37, 11. The gentle, the meek, will inherit the land. They will inherit the earth. Um, and the reality is, is when we talk about inheriting the land, inheriting the earth, you're like, uh, it's, there's a possibility that, that you may have missed that. Like, that's part of God's promises for you. You will inherit the land or you will inherit the earth. And the reason there's a possibility you might have missed that is sometimes we as preachers have, have not made really clear what your Christian hope is. So it's, it's possible you might think that your Christian hope is to go to heaven when you die. But that's not your Christian hope. That might be part of your Christian hope, but that's not the sum total or the ultimate uh, bit of your Christian hope. The ultimate thing your Christian hope is, is the resurrection of your body after death and a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what the scriptures teach, that someday those who are in Christ, they will be raised to new life and there will be a new heavens 
and a new earth where everything works the way it's supposed to, sort of like a Garden of Eden on steroids. And it'll be the whole earth, and everything will be the way it's supposed to. The whole earth will be filled with the presence and knowledge of God, uh, Isaiah says, as the waters cover the sea. Like, this whole world will be full of God's glory and God's presence, and everything will work the way God intended it and designed it. Well, that's what the psalmist is getting at when he says, those who wait on the Lord, they will inherit the earth. Like, the whole, if you're in Christ, someday, the whole earth is yours. The whole earth is yours. It's like, and you're tempted to envy him for his car, his boat, and his TV? Someday, the whole earth will be yours if you're in Christ. That's the promise. And, and so, whereas for those far from God, the ungodly, there's no future in their good life, well, for your life, for those who depend on the Lord who follow Christ, uh, there is a forever future that's full of good. That's what God promises. You delight yourself in him. You put your hope in him. You seek him. You trust him. And you will inherit the whole earth. The whole earth will be yours someday. Um, in fact, Psalm 37, 18 puts it like this. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. And their inheritance will endure forever. There is a forever future that's full of good for those who do life with God. That's the promise of Psalm 37. David, the author of the song, he believed that so deeply. He believed that so sincerely that listen to what he could say in Psalm 37, 16. He says this, better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I mean, hear what he says. It's better to have, you know, like barely make ends meet from month to month. You're strapped. You, you know, you, you, can, you live paycheck to paycheck. That's better than having the bank account of 10, 15, 20, 100 people that are ungodly and far from God. Do you actually believe that? Not just believe it because you know you should say you believe it because it's the Christian and church thing to do. Do you believe it in the sense that you actually live like it's true? Do you believe it? That it's better to have live paycheck to paycheck and do life with God than to have the bank account of many ungodly, far from God people. David believed that to the core of his being because he knew the promises that God had made to him. And he believed those promises. And so he said, my life is in his hands. And it's better to have hardly anything and do life with God than to have an abundance and be apart from God. So, so if you believe that, if I believe that, then how should we respond? Like, what difference does that make in our life? If we think that's true, and we say, okay, God, I've looked again. I've looked more closely. I've looked more deeply. I've looked at my life. I've looked at theirs. I realize they're just going to fade away. And God, you're promising me a forever future that's full of good. What difference should it make in your life? Well, look again, just at the verses we already read. And let's just highlight the verbs. Just highlight the verbs, and it tells you, here's the difference it should make in your life. What are the verbs in these passages we just looked at? Well, look at verse 3. Trust. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him. Put your confidence in him. God, I trust you. I trust you know what you're talking about. I trust your way is smarter than my way. Jesus, I, I, I trust that you actually are a good teacher. I'm going to trust your way of life, even if it's different than what my own common sense says. Jesus, I trust you. 
Trust in the Lord. Or verse 4, take delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Like, you're going to find your pleasure in him. You're going to find your joy in him. You take delight in him. God, there's a lot of other people and a lot of other things that could be a, you know, attract my attention and attract my affection and attract my joy. God, I'm going to take delight in you. I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to put my pleasure in you. Um, verse 5 and 6, commit your way to the Lord. Just hand your way, meaning your life, the way you go in life. Hand it over to the Lord. Lord, here it is. Here's my life. It's, it's free for you to do what you want with. Even if what you want is not necessarily what I want, doesn't make sense to me, God, here it is. Because I trust you and I got confidence in you. So I'm committing my way to you, Lord. So here it is. I'm handing it over. I'm entrusting my life to you. You commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. Trust him. Or verse 7. Look at this one. Be still. Be still before the Lord. That doesn't necessarily mean physical stillness. It's not really talking about that. It's, it's talking about at the level of your heart and your soul. Where, where instead of striving and angst and fretting and wrestling and wrangling in your soul, your soul is still. It's calm. You're not constantly striving to make your life turn out the way you think it should. You're not fighting. You're not frustrated all the time. You're, instead of having like a soul that's, that would be like angry, you know, storm-tossed seas, huge waves, it's glassy, calm waters. That's the way your soul is. Because you just trust God. And you know he, he can take care of it. And you know what he's promised. Be still before the Lord. And wait. That's the other verb in verse 7. Wait. Wait patiently for him. You just wait on him. You wait for him to sort things out. To make things right. To fulfill his word. To fulfill his promises. You're just going to wait, Lord. I know you got this. You know, I know you're in charge. So I'll just rest in you. And I will wait. That's the difference it makes. You look at verses 8 and 9. Don't do evil. Don't fret. It's not worth it. Hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. God, I am counting on you to make things right. I am counting on you to fulfill your promises. I'm banking on you. I'm hanging all my hopes on you, Lord. Hoping in you. Hoping in you. That's the difference it makes. All these verbs, trust, take delight, commit, be still, wait, hope, all those verbs that what they speak of is they speak of you, me, our lives, just gazing up at God. God, my life is in your hands, and I'm trusting you 100%, pledging everything to you. God, you, you, you've got to take care of me because this world, this world doesn't always go the way I want. That's the picture of these verbs. It's this life that is fully turned towards God and gazing up at him and trusting him with our life and with our future. What, what the insight of this psalm says to you and to me, when we're, when we're tempted to be frustrated, irritated, or discouraged because we look around, it's like, God, it just doesn't seem fair. I mean, people who don't have any care for you and what's right, God, they're getting ahead and my life is barely going anywhere. When we're tempted to feel that way, Psalm 37 says this, Hang all your hopes on God and the future he promises. You hang all your hopes on God and the future he promises. When, when you look around at your life and you think, man, I, you've been, been praying for a loved one who's dealing with an illness, or maybe it's yourself and you're praying for you know, some healing, or you've been praying 
you know, for a job or you've been praying for your finances or you've been praying to have a baby or whatever it is. And you just, it just feels like, man, God, it's not, where's it going? And you're still, you're still jobless or you're still childless or your bank account's still jacked up, right? Or you're, you're still sick and you're tempted to be frustrated and fret and be envious and discouraged. This psalm says, hang all your hopes on God and the good, rich, forever future that he promises. Martin Luther King said this, uh, speaking about disappointment and discouragement, he said, we must accept finite disappointment. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. This life, there's a good chance at times will disappoint you. It's a good chance things aren't always going to turn out the way you want. High likelihood all your dreams won't come true. There's a good chance you'll get to a point in life where you'll, you might feel discouraged and frustrated and say, God, I, I never thought my life would turn out like this. Or God, I don't understand why. Or God, I wish you would answer this prayer. There's a good chance you might experience finite disappointment. But you must never lose sight of infinite hope that God has promised a great and glorious future to his people. So you trust in him. You bank on him. You hang all your hopes on him. And if you're, if you're hearing that, and maybe you're right in that place right now, and you're, you're, already, you're, you're feeling the discouragement and the frustration and fretting, and you're like, that sounds nice, preacher. That sounds nice. Those are nice words. But what's the guarantee? I mean, I can't see the future. What's the guarantee? Well, here's the guarantee. The guarantee is Romans 8. Listen to what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, if God is on our side, if God is for us, then who can stand against us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also uh, with him give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also give us all the things he's promised? That's the guarantee. God loved you so much and loved this world so much that he sent his own son and gladly gave him up for you and for me. So if you're ever tempted to doubt and you're ever wondering, God, what's, what's the guarantee? God says, just look at my son. I gave up my son for you. I guarantee I'm going to give you the whole earth someday. I promise. And I stake my son's life on it. So what's the guarantee? The guarantee is Jesus. So when you're tempted to doubt and when you're not sure what to do, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and say, God, God so loved me and this world that he gave his only son. God, I pledge my life to you. I hang all my hopes on you. I delight in you. I commit my way to you. I'm trusting you. I place my hope in you, God. God, I'm counting on you to make things right and to fulfill your promises. And someday, may not happen in this lifetime, but someday he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. God, we know, we know that you're good and we know that you're wise. And we know that we can count on you because you loved us literally to death in Jesus.
So God, help us to depend on you, to bank on you. Help us to see a little more clearly, to open our eyes and, and to see our life a little more deeply and to realize you have promised us so much good and we can count on you to deliver on your promises because what you did for us in Jesus. Thank you for every good thing you do for us, every good thing you have done, and every good thing you will do. Thank you for your promises, God, and thank you that you're trustworthy in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life Podcast. So glad you could join us for this episode. Beginning next week, I'm going to start a brand new series where I begin wrestling with some big Bible words. And so if there's a Bible phrase or a Bible word that you struggle to understand, man, reach out to me. I would love to answer or deal with the word that you want to get clarified on that. And as always, this is a listener-supported show. So thank you to each and every one of you who support this show through Patreon, or through World Family Mission. You can donate both those ways. I'll have the information down below. But thank you so much to each and every one of you. It means the world to me and obviously makes this show possible. wouldn't be possible to do any of the online stuff I'm doing without the generous support of people just like you. So thanks a ton. God bless you guys, and we will talk again next week.